Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Yeah. And take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. Find the frequency, yeah. tune in. Get a word with Reverend Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Hey, Philly Trivia listeners, Pastor Jonathan Mason here in the pastor's office, and I want to welcome you. Some of you may be surprised that we're actually having a show this Sunday because I shared with you that I would be in Ghana for the next two weeks, and I am in Ghana for the next two weeks. Just to give you a brief update, I do a mission trip to Ghana every year. We have built computer labs over here. We've dug wells. We have brought school supplies. Um, We have built kitchens and bathrooms for various schools. They have blessed me by naming one school after my father, the Reverend Lee Mason, Jr., and last year they named another school after my mother, uh, Mrs. Eunice Mason, and we're just blessed. So I thought about taking off for two weeks and really focusing on this work, but what I've decided to do is to interview certain government officials and citizens here in Ghana. Uh, So over the next two Sundays, you're going to be hearing uh, a lot of those interviews. But before we do that, I thought a perfect segue uh, into our on-site interviews in Ghana would be to have a conversation with Congressman Al Green. Let me tell you why. Uh, Congressman Al Green uh, out of Texas has ushered in legislation that passed on July the 27th, this year, 2022, to have a Slavery Remembrance Day. Now watch this. Here's what some of you may not know. There's a Remembrance Day for the Holocaust. There's a Remembrance Day for Pearl Harbor. There's a Remembrance Day for 9-11. All of these Remembrance Days pass through Congress and are acknowledged every year. But up until Congressman Green's resolution, there has been no Remembrance Day for slavery. And part of my visit to Ghana will include another visit, my fourth visit, to the Cape Coast Castle. Cape Coast Castle, for those of you that don't know, was the location that our ancestors sailed from to head to the United States of America to become part of the enslaved population. As a matter of fact, at Cape Coast Castle, there's a door that leads directly to the ocean. When you open the door, the next thing you see is sand and ocean. That door is called the door of no return, because once our ancestors walked through that door, they got onto a ship 
and they were never able to see family and friends and loved ones off the coast of West Africa ever again. They went to America as part of the enslaved population. So that visit will take place tomorrow, Monday. But what a fitting, fitting conversation for us to have this this afternoon about Slavery Remembrance Day here in the United States. I want to welcome into the pastor's office for the third time, and I really appreciate that, Congressman Al Green. Congressman, come on into the pastor's office and have a seat. How are you, sir? Oh, Pastor, I am better than I deserve and honored to have a seat with you. Uh, what you have just said has really awakened uh, quite a few memories with me. I was in Angola, Africa, with Congressman Mickey Leland, who was a very good friend of mine. He died on a mission of mercy uh, in Ethiopia, trying to deliver food to starving people. But he and I went mm. to Angola together, and there was what appeared to be a church high on a hill, and when we arrived at the church, you would go in, and the church was set up just as you would have a typical church, except you could push the pew forward. And when you pushed it forward, there was a stairway that led down to a dungeon. And in that dungeon around the wall were places where you could literally chain people to the walls in the dungeon. And wow. there was a door in that dungeon that opened up, just as you said, to a ship that would come alongside and that, too, was a door of no return. The oppressors of that era used a similar paradigm in several African countries so as to kidnap human beings and bring them to the Americas, where they were then, of course, uh, placed into slavery. Uh, families were separated. Uh, children sold at the auction block away from parents. It's just a horrible institution. And fortunately for us, we were able to do, as you've indicated, pass a resolution for slavery remembrance so that we can remember the evils of slavery. We cannot allow it to be sanitized, whitewashed, or in any way minimized. We've got to make sure that the world knows what happened. And in Texas, uh, Reverend, there is an effort afoot to call slavery involuntary relocation. Wow. 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 And to have that inserted into all of the school books. Yes, sir. That's, that's the effort. Now, it hasn't got, the legislature didn't buy into it, but there are people who are literally pushing that. And currently in Texas, they have codified into law limits on what you can teach about slavery in school. So we have to have this Remembrance Day so that we can assure ourselves that posterity will be very much aware of what the history of slavery really was, and it was an unpleasant history. It was about rape and robbery and murder and denial of education, a destruction of culture, all identity, demeaning of human beings to the extent that they hated themselves. Uh, we have to make sure that we teach the truth about this, and as you well know in John 8, 32, if you know the truth, it'll set you free. So we've yes, got to sir. make sure people have an intimate knowledge of the truth, because it says know the truth, not, not hear the truth. If you hear the truth, eh, I don't know, you might get set free. But if you know it, there's a difference between hearing it and knowing it. And if you know it, the truth will free you, but you've got to know it. 
Well, Congressman, I want to thank you for getting this legislation through Congress, but but I have to ask the question, what in the world has taken so long? At last I checked, 9-11 happened long after slavery ended. Last I checked, Pearl Harbor happened long after slavery ended. Uh, what What is it and why has it taken so long for us to see that there needs to be some type of uh, regulated remembrance? for slavery. Pastor, it, it boils down to this. I'm going to simplify it as best I can, and I promise to be terse and laconic, not to make it too long. But it boils down to the difference between a window and a mirror. When we look at these other events, we're looking through a window into the lives of others. But when we look at slavery, we're looking into a mirror, and it's a reflection upon us. We, without little hesitation, reservation, or equivocation, will criticize properly, by the way, properly, others for what they have done. But we are quite reticent when it comes to uh, the criticality associated with an institution like slavery, which requires us to do introspection. We've got to examine ourselves, and it's taken a long time for us to get to the point where we could introspect to the extent that we would say that this is something worthy of the federal government acknowledging uh, should be remembered, because we have to remember it was the federal government that allowed slavery to exist. It was the federal government that had lawful segregation. Uh, So the federal government has unclean hands, and those with unclean hands don't always want their hands revealed, and that's what this resolution will do. It will reveal the truth. Now, I'm not saying to you that they're not good people in the government, and I'm not saying to you that the government uh, is evil. I'm simply saying to you that it's difficult to acknowledge one's own transgressions. Uh, The transgressions of others are easily acknowledged, but when you deal with your own, it's much more difficult, and that's been the problem. You know, Congressman, every month when I celebrate communion with my congregation, I always reference uh, Paul's passage in Corinthians uh, where he shares that when you eat of the bread and you drink of the wine, when you don't do it with the proper mindset, when you don't do it after having really looked at yourself, and really looked at what sins you've committed. You eat it and drink it damnation to yourself. And and, and basically what you're saying, Congressman, is that, you know what, when we go to Cape Coast, when you went into that church and saw the dungeons, all of that stuff was sponsored and accepted by our government. It was accepted by our government. So uh, it's taken them a long time to realize that we need to acknowledge this. Congressman, let me ask you this question. I I mean, obviously the votes are on the record, but did you receive any type of opposition as you moved this legislation forward that surprised you? Well, you know, it's hard to surprise me, but I will tell you that I was, I thought that it could have been done with a bit more of expedition associated with it. It was 218 yeas, 207 nays. So uh, it was a close vote. But I take any vote that gets me to where I need to go, and I'm proud (laughs) to have it. And I will tell you that uh, there are people in leadership who made a difference, and uh, that, that those people ought to be acknowledged. And one that stands out is Mr. Steny Hoyer, who is the majority leader. He gave me his word. 
that before Slavery Remembrance Day this year, that we would pass this in the House. He gave me his word, and he kept his word. And that meant a lot to me, still means a lot to me, something I will never forget. He gave me his word. So it was a challenge. It was a challenge, but challenges are to be met. Uh, we've had greater challenges in our lifetimes. Our poor parents had greater challenges, and they met and dealt with them. So I'm, I'm honored that we got it done, and I'm appreciative to all of the leadership, Ms. Pelosi, who's the speaker, uh, Mr. Clyburn, who is the whip, Hoyer, who is the majority leader, of course, I've mentioned, and then you've got Jeffries, who is the caucus chair, and all of them have made a difference in this with this legislation. Now, now uh, I'm missing one more, for, Clark, who was the assistant speaker, assistant speaker, Clark. Now, the date for slavery remembrance, uh, August 20th, and then the 21st for activities. Why don't you share with our listeners the significance of the date, August 20th? Yes, sir. I'm honored to do so because it really is uh, a completion of the story that you started. Uh, the genesis of this was the persons who were kidnapped in Africa. Some were actually sold into slavery by uh, Africans themselves. Uh, but as they traversed the Atlantic, there was a stopping point in the, the islands near the United States of America, the Bahamas and other islands. But they finally got to the United States of America in 1619 on a ship that was called the White Lion, the White Lion. It docked at a place called Point Comfort, Point Comfort, which is near what we now know as Norfolk, Virginia. And when that ship docked there, it had 20 enslaved Africans. Uh, Some say the number may be higher, but we do know that there were at least 20 enslaved Africans. And they were traded for goods with the persons who were in the colony. And that's when it was first introduced. So the genesis was the door of no return, and the revelation uh, we are yet to, to see the end of, because that was the genesis of revelation in 1619, August 20th, and we are still experiencing the revelation. But it was on that day, and uh, from that day forward, we've had the progenies of slavery visited upon this country, black codes of convict leasing. For those who don't know, convict leasing is simply slavery by another name. A person of African ancestry would be charged with a small crime, something like lottery. And then you would be leased to a plantation owner. And many people spent the rest of their lives in bondage on a plantation because they committed some minor offense. So that was convict leasing. And then, of course, everybody's familiar with a lawful segregation. It was literally lawful in this country to segregate black people, put them in the back of the bus, uh, make them sit in the balcony of the movie, drink from a separate water fountain, uh, be locked up in the bottom of the jail. Uh, all of these things, uh, many of them occurred in my lifetime, and I've seen them in my lifetime. I'm 74 years of age. And after the... in segregation, we went to invidious discrimination, which we'll still experience it. It is proven that black people, more qualified than whites, applying for a loan, will likely get charged a higher interest rate or have more points to pay, more fees, or uh, get less money uh, than a person who is less qualified and white. Uh, We still have that. We still have discrimination in housing. We do the testing to ascertain 
uh, whether this is the case, where we send out persons of different hues, and we find that places that will say, no, I have no place for you at the end. There's no place for you at the end. Uh, however, when a person comes along of a different hue, there is space at the end. So we still have this invidious discrimination to cope with. And a lot of it emanates from our not having placed our history squarely before the public so that people understand the suffering that we had initially and how it still impacts the suffering that we experience today. Black people are not in the poverty positions that we're in, uh, poverty-stricken to a greater extent than a good many others, because we uh, don't work hard. We work 400 years without a payday. Uh, Black people are not uh, in the position that they're in in terms of wealth because we didn't try to work and pull ourselves up by bootstraps. We're here because when a lot of the wealth was being handed out, when you would just simply squat, go out on a piece of land, get yourself a Winchester rifle, fence it in, defend it, and it was yours. Really that simple. We weren't allowed to do that. And when we were coming back from the war uh, and the GI Bill was available to help people with education and loans so that they could buy homes, uh, very few black people benefited from that initial GI Bill. So we were redlined, locked out, left out, pushed out, and that's that's all as a result of the initial sin in 1619. Uh, this is why we have to have slavery remembrance, so that we can commemorate, not celebrate, commemorate what happened. And in the commemoration, we do acknowledge that we've come a long way, because at one time we came on slave ships, but now we have judge ships. At one time, black men were known as boys, but now we've had one to be introduced presented, if you will, as Mr. President. Women were known as girls, black women, called girls, uh, just a commonplace occurrence to call a black woman a girl. But now we have a black woman who's being presented even today as uh, Madam Vice President. So we've come a long way, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a way to go. And we commemorate what, what happened to us when we arrived, and we celebrate some of what has happened since our arrival. Congressman Green, I got a, a, just a, a, light, a light moment here. I, I remember sitting at a funeral with a couple of my fr- preacher buddies, and one of the preachers got up to the pulpit, you know, to deliver remarks about the uh, deceased. And when he sat down, one of my other preacher friends leaned over to him and said, man, you sure know how to put some words together. Congressman, you know how to put some words together. Man. <laughs> really? Pastor, you are too kind. You're too kind. I thank you so much. Uh, Listen, so, so, so real quick as we uh, wind down this interview, uh, again, you're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM, 99.5 HD3. We are talking to Congressman Al Green, uh, who ushered through Congress a resolution that is now law, uh, a slavery remembrance day, uh, August the 20th uh, of this year. Why don't you share as we wind down the interview, what is it that we're asking organizations and citizens to do on Slavery Remembrance Day? Yes, sir. And uh, thank you for refreshing my memory. You you alluded to that earlier, and I appreciate your bringing me back to it. Uh, Pastor, we would like for organizations on the Saturday and people at 12 noon to stop for a moment of silent solemnity, wherever you are, wherever you are, just stop for a moment and uh, salute 
those who suffered the indignation and humiliation of slavery by placing your hand over your heart to salute them, and in your own way, lower your head, however it is that you would salute. Uh, but uh, I would lower my head, and I would think for a moment about the horrors and the evils of slavery. And when finished, then uh, just to yourself, or you may whisper, we must always remember. We must always remember. And before that, if you'd like to, as we will be doing in Houston, uh, before 12 noon, we'll start at 8.30 a.m., and we will have a Slavery Remembrance Day commemorative breakfast. A Slavery Remembrance Day commemorative breakfast, and the breakfast is free, open to the public. We plan to feed 1,000 people. Uh, hopefully 1,000 will show up. If more than 1,000 show up, we'll try to accommodate as many as we can. But at that breakfast, we will have a ceremony, and that ceremony will consist of a person who will lead the liturgy, and that person will read off various important aspects of our history. And that person will then invite others after each passage is read to say, we must always remember. And we will have that person say, we must, and then the audience will say, always remember. And we go through a number of those and conclude with some of the things that we've been able to accomplish in spite of slavery, in spite of uh, segregation, and in spite of invidious discrimination. That will take place on Saturday. And on the 21st, the Sunday, we are inviting pastors. By the way, this is going to be a church-driven benefit for us, because it's the church that we've always found sanctuary. Uh, yes, sir. You know, and I know that there's a place in the church called the sanctuary. Uh, that's right. And, and that's because it was, it's a safe place. It's a safe place for, for people uh, of goodwill, and I've always felt at home and comfortable in the sanctuary. So we'll have in the sanctuary of the church, the pastor will give the sermon, but we'll then have that same ceremony repeated for the members of the church, and after that ceremony, the pastor will give a Slavery Remembrance Day sermon. And uh, we did it last year, Bishop James Dixon, delivered a powerful sermon, a powerful sermon, and uh, I'll be at his church again this year and other churches as well, but uh, we hope to have this repeated, replicated, if you will, across the length and breadth of the country. At some point, we want this to become something that we honor, not because of, it's a paid holiday, and in fact it won't be, not because uh, somebody else has sanctioned it, although I'm glad it will be sanctioned by the government, but because it's something important to us. It means something to us, and we understand the necessity to pass this on to posterity, because if you don't know where you started, you're not likely to know where you're going to end up or where you're going, and that's been proven in many ways. So that's what the 20th and the 21st would be about. And, Pastor, I would add this. With the House of Representatives has sanctioned it. Uh, the Senate has not. But we're going to try to bypass the Senate and go straight to the president. And I spoke to President Biden. Uh, he seems to be excited about the possibility. I believe he will sign this by way of an executive order, uh, pardon me, a, a, a proclamation. You might recall that the Emancipation Proclamation freed the slaves. The 13th Amendment actually did it in law. But the, well, President Lincoln presented the Emancipation Proclamation. I'd like to see President Biden present the Slavery Commemorance Proclamation 
so that uh, we can have a Slavery Remembrance Day to commemorate slavery, just as Lincoln signed an Emancipation Proclamation to free them. We would have President Biden sign a proclamation to commemorate their lives and their suffering. Amen. Amen. Well, Congressman Green, I want to thank you for getting the first step done and getting it through Congress. Uh, we are certainly going to promote it. I'll be in Ghana on the 21st, but when I get back, I'm going to preach a sermon on slavery. And I pray that it will be half as powerful as the one that you heard. Uh, sir, thank you for all the great work you continue to do. And as always, if we can be a blessing to you as uh, you attempt to move legislation forward to benefit people, we're right here for you, sir. Well, Pastor, I have heard you have a reputation of being a pulpiteer par excellence, and I will look forward to that sermon. If you can codify it in some way or record it, I'll be honored to listen to it. And one day I hope to be in your sanctuary when uh, you take to the uh, pulpit to hear one of your sermons. So thank you so much for allowing me these few moments with uh, your audience, and I look forward to Greater things to happen for all of us. Thank you, and God bless. God bless you, sir. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Now. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. It's Pastor Jonathan Mason with you. And I want you to know something. We're about to have a discussion with one of our local pastors. And I, I, I'm doing this because I need some encouragement. I need some motivation. Uh, I, I, I need somebody to inspire and keep the fire lit in me. Let me tell you why. I got to share this story with you. Uh, so I, uh, I shared with the servant leaders of our church here in the Frankfurt section of Philadelphia that uh, we wanted to start a community refrigerator. I talked about it for several months and galvanized the team to come together to support this effort. Uh, and we started a community refrigerator. As a matter of fact, we took the refrigerator that was in our kitchen, we disabled it, we hooked it up outside in the alley of our church, got a very nice sign made to talk about our community refrigerator. Members started bringing in non-perishable items. Uh, every time I went shopping, y'all know I'm, I'm, I'm a single dad now. I go shopping five times a week. That's what we do because we can't figure out how to get everything in one fell swoop. So uh, every time I go shopping, I get non-perishable items. This past week when I went shopping, I bought like five boxes of, of Fruity Pebbles and some Corn Flakes. And, and all of our members are just bringing things in to put in the refrigerator. And here's the blessing. Here's the blessing. People were coming and getting the products. People were coming and getting the products. It was serving a purpose. So watch this. I'm on my way to the church on Friday. And I start to get calls from my members. I was on a Zoom or something. I couldn't answer. But what typically my members will do if they can't reach me is they'll send a text right after they, they, they call. So I start getting the calls and then the text. Reverend, somebody stole our community refrigerator. <laughs> I tell my congregation all the time, if you don't laugh a little, you'll cry a lot. So you got to always find the humor in certain things. So I started getting the cascading text. The, the refrigerator is gone. The refrigerator is gone. So I said to myself, all right, now, what's my response going to be? And you know what my response was? My response was simple. 
Well, the refrigerator was for the community. <laughs> so, 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 so we're not daunted. We're not discouraged. Uh, there's an old song we used to sing in the church, and we still should be singing it. Be not dismayed. Whatever be tied, God will take care of you. And so we're meeting with the servant leaders, and we're just going to find a different way to do our refrigerator because it was effective, because people were being blessed. Uh, and, and, and watch this. We had that refrigerator bolted down. We had it uh, tied up to the building. I mean, it was secure. How is it nobody saw somebody come and take a refrigerator full of food? But it's all good. I just believe whoever took it, that's what I believe in. Whoever took it needed it more than we did. And we're just going to find another way to serve our community. But today we're going to be talking to a pastor that is a unique food pantry at his church. He's been doing this since 2018. And I'm, 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 I saw an article, I saw a report, and I was super impressed by the work that he's doing to bless his community and to bless those in need. Now, churches in Haverford, on the main line, you probably think there are no food needs there. But this pastor has found that there are, and he's filling in the gap to provide for those that are in need. I want to welcome into the pastor's office uh, this Sunday afternoon, pastor of the Memorial Church of God in Christ in Haverford, uh, Pastor Darren Miller. Pastor Miller, come on in the pastor's office. Have a seat. Let's talk a little while. All right. God bless you, Pastor Mason. So nice to be here with you. Well, listen, we are glad that you were able to give of your time to talk to us a little bit today about your pantry and how you're yes, blessing sir. a community. First, tell us how your pantry got started. It got started by, I often tell people, it was with five bagels. Okay. And and how it, how this happened there was a rehearsal that a popular um, Philadelphia choir was having that I was uh, would would often work with for years as a musician. And after rehearsal, we went outside, and and the lady was giving out some bagels from her trunk. And uh, there was a gathering around the trunk there where people were coming up to get bagels. And so she said, um, "Pastor, would you like five chocolate chip bagels?" I said, "Sure," and took them. Well, lo and behold, the next week we came back, there's her trunk open again, and she's serving bagels out of the back. This time she asked me, would you like some more? And so I'm saying to myself, where is this lady getting enough bagels for all these people to be uh, able to take some and, and come back the next week? So I asked her, and she informed me uh, of a distribution that she was getting through the Panera Bread Company and uh, the program that they had going on. So uh, I said, hmm, let me look into that. Next thing I know, she's also putting me in touch with a lady who she had gotten the bagels from through Panera. So she didn't have the direct relationship. She was just a recipient of what the other lady was doing. So uh, me and my inquisitive nature called the lady and wanted to know how she was getting what she got. She then said, you know what, not only am I getting this, but I have connections with another place that I can't service because the distance is too far. Hmm. And uh, so she said, if you want, I'll give them to you, and then and you can pick up from them. 
Well, lo and behold, that place was Wegmans in King of Prussia. Okay. And that was in 2018, and the rest from there is history. Wow, wow. And so you started out, I, I noticed in the report I saw all about your pantry, you started out with some dedicated volunteers who were committed to being a blessing in the community. Talk to us a little bit about the importance of having strong, a strong volunteer population to operate a pantry, and then talk to us a little bit about the partnerships that are imperative in order for you to keep that pantry stocked. Oh, certainly. I mean, it's, it's, it's paramount. No one person can do, really, in essence, can do ministry just alone as an island. When God calls you to something, he will allow you to open up the door, but then he'll backfill it with people that can help you to be able to realize the vision that you have. The volunteers that we have here, nobody, including myself, none of us get paid to do anything that we do. These people are, are folks that uh, either they come from their jobs once they're finished, they'll come on over to the pantry, or some of them include people who are retired and they want to, were just looking for something to be able to do, and they came on by, and some of them, some of them are church members, some are not. Um, but they, they, are, they are dedicated, die-hard, because they believe in what the Lord has us doing here, and they see the effect of how it is helping scores and scores of families and people to to have food on their table. You know, when the pandemic hit, it hit all of us extremely hard. We did not know, and still even in to some degree, uh, one of the mysteries of all of this is you don't necessarily know where it's going. Yeah. We think that we get to a better place, and then it seems like we regress two or three steps. But all in all, God has it in control. Yes, sir. That said, the people find, you know, when we were at the height of the pandemic and, and we were servicing anywhere from 1,000 to 1,200 people a week, uh, we received a letter from the governor and whatnot asking us. He, he became aware of what we were doing through our community involvement and connecting, as you were saying a moment ago, with our local congressional people, those folks who are in local offices and whatnot, our councilmen. He, we had him come, and, and he learned about what the church was doing, and so therefore it got into other arenas that we would not have necessarily otherwise gotten into, all the way up to the desk of the governor. And he sent us letters saying, please, if you can stay open, if there's a way for you to stay safe and keep your workers safe and still do what you do, please don't close. And this was when the shutdown had first come into play um, around uh, the end of March of 2020. Mm -hmm. He provided us with letters that he said, should you be stopped by the police if you're on the road, you know, doing what you do, just show them this letter and everything is fine. And uh, so from there, again, having the connections and the relationships with a lot of these folks, um, them seeing that, again, we were not, uh, well, I'll put it like this, it's often something that I say, that I'm not in what I do for the income, I'm in it for the outcome. And because of that, that attitude, I think, has permeated into the people who serve here and give of their time and efforts. Um, people see that we're not in it to make anything. We're not trying to promote ourselves. It's just not we see a need. And because of that, uh, we do what is necessary to meet that need. 
That happens in the rain. It happens in the sun, in the heat, like today. It happens in the snow. It happens in the ice. No matter what the conditions are, um, I think the only holiday that we actually get is Christmas Day. Mm. Uh, Even on Thanksgiving morning, there are people that are here uh, to be able to distribute because some of the um, local retailers that we have that provide us with food are open. So because they're open, we uh, pick up and distribute. We're here at Philly's Favor 100.7 FM, 99.5 HD3. You're inside the pastor's office, and, and on this day, we are blessed to have another pastor in the pastor's office, and that's Pastor Darren Miller. He is the pastor of the Memorial Church of God in Christ in Haverford, and he has a food pantry that has been in operation since 2018, servicing thousands every year. Uh, uh, Pastor, we talked about the pandemic very briefly. Uh, I, I think for all of us that are in, in this thing called service to the community, I think we all saw that food insecurity was real yeah. during that time. Uh, I partnered with uh, Blessings of Hope up in the Dutch country and brought in several 18-wheeler loads uh, of food wow. throughout the pandemic. And I got to tell you something, sir. Every time we did the giveaways, the line was from our mm-hmm. church all the way back up to Frankfurt Avenue, and yes, people sir. kept coming all day long. It, it, this need is real. Talk to us about how that that need was illuminated and continues to be illuminated for you. One of the biggest issues that we had was trying to flush people out. There's a stigma that historically, I believe, has come along with being seen at a food pantry or you were in a line waiting to get food. What we wanted to do was make sure that we dispelled that stigma. When people would come to and continue to come to our pantry, we don't treat them as people who are needy. Every one of us, but for the grace of God, is one paycheck away from being on the other side of the serving portion of the pantry. And because of that, when people come, they're treated with respect, they're treated with dignity, they're treated in, in such a way. We, we also don't, we don't prepackage to the position where uh, you come up and we'll just put a box of food in your car and send you on your way. Here, what we've created is a shopping experience, so it operates very much like a supermarket. And so because of that, as folks would find out that this pantry was different, you know, they don't ask me a whole lot of questions and, and whatnot. The people treat me with respect. I feel important. I feel loved when I come there. I feel the love of Christ. They would spread the word to others. And so because they knew of people who were suffering with food insecurity, one of our biggest advertisements was word of mouth. It by far exceeded anything that we did on social media or anything of that nature. It was word of mouth. People would come and say, oh, the food is not only plentiful, but they're giving us the same food that we would see in the markets, even to the point where we are not giving out expired dates and we're not giving out rotten food and things where people have to go cut the rotten part off. And if I, I tell the workers and instilled it in them, if you wouldn't buy it, on the shelf. Don't give it out. And don't put it out to that's the people. Right. That's right. Because we're feeding people, not pigs. That's right. And so that's really the attitude. Now, I have a, a wonderful director 
who God had me appoint over the pantry who runs the day-to-day operations here. She had many years of experience working in the school system with the uh, Aramark company. And so because of that, a lot of the um, the rules, if you will, that uh, should happen in food service, she was able to come and educate the volunteers the dates that we should be checking for, and, um, the sell-by dates versus the use-by dates versus, you know, things of that nature or best-by dates. So all of that was able to work together to be able to pinpoint the food insecurity that was hidden out here in this area. Pastor, talk to me a little bit about how you get the word out about the pantry. Is it just announcements during service? Is it social media? Uh, tell our listeners how, how you get that word out and how, if they're in need, they can get to your church. Well, we do some of that. The Lord has blessed us. We, we do stream our services each and every week, and as well as if you go out there to www.memorialcojic.com. If you go out there, you'll, you'll get information on the pantry as well. Some of the other things that we do, we make a, a small announcement during the, um, the stream that we have. Again, our biggest advertisement, though, has been word of mouth. When people come here, they go back and they tell their family members or they tell their neighbors. And so what has happened is what started as a small community event just really catapulted into we have people who come from New Jersey, people who come from Delaware, people who come from all parts of Philadelphia, people who, of course, come from the immediate community out here in Haverford, Ardmore, Bryn Mawr, uh, all in that area. Because, again, you would be surprised sometimes at even children, young people, who in some of our schools are on free and reduced lunch. Well, when school is not in session, those kids didn't stop living. They're somewhere in a house, maybe playing video games because mama is working or papa's working, whatever the case might be. Now, those kids have to eat. So because somebody knows of a, there's a grandmother, a praying grandmother, <laughs> somewhere that knows about these kids in the house, that grandmother will come and get food for the children. Well, that word spreads, and it, just, it literally just, just continues to, to snowball in a good way in bringing people in to be able to get the food that is here. And believe me, thank the Lord, it is very plentiful. People just, all you have to do is come. The hours, we're open on Wednesdays from 12 until 5. We're open on Thursdays from 12 until 4. And we're open on Fridays from 2 until 6 p.m. And at any one of those times, people can just come to 747 Buck Lane in Haverford, Pennsylvania, 19041, (laughs) and let the Lord bless you in that way. Amen. And can, let's get out that website one more time, Pastor. Certainly. www.memorialcogic. That stands for Church of God in Christ. memorialcogic.com. I want you, if you have a need, to reach out to this pastor, to this church, or, or, or to reach out if you're in an area where you can't travel that far. There are many pantries in, in the area that are serving this need. But share the message, spread the word. We want to end food insecurity wherever it exists. 
we need to end food insecurity wherever <laughs> it exists. Pastor, thank you for the work that you are doing, sir. And and outside of my father, the Reverend Lee Mason Jr., who pastored the Northeast Baptist Church for 41 years, the fa- yeah. my favorite preacher on this planet. It's Dr. Gilbert Earl Patterson, my friend. So, so. Oh, my. Oh, man. I'm telling you. Oh, my, my, my. Nobody like him, Doc. Nobody like yes, him. Nobody yes, like yes. him. But thank Our you. former presiding bishop. That's right. Former presiding bishop of the Church of God in Christ. Well, sir, thank you for joining us and keep on doing God what you do. God bless you. you, my friend. God bless you. Thank you so much. Political spiritual, maybe some lies. While you're while listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah.